And now the end is near And so I face the final curtain My friend, I'll say it clear I'll state my case Of which I'm certain I've lived a life that's full I traveled each and every highway And more, much more than this I did it my way Regret When about as bad as any of us I've could have imagined and then it went worse. Hello and welcome to episode 237 of section 138. We promised ourselves last year that we wouldn't be here in the same spot talking about basically the same thing. And yet here we are, the Blue Jays have, I guess, one of the worst games you could possibly imagine at one of the worst times you could possibly imagine. And it all goes terribly, and here we are the morning after, talking about a team that has blown the second biggest lead in postseason history, that has blown the biggest lead in postseason history for our home team, and is now not only going down in the record books, but going to be taunted for years to come by these videos. Jacob Bryson, I'm not going to ask how you are, because I know the answer to that one. But just give me a snippet of how you're feeling right now. The morning after, 9.40 a.m., about 12 hours after that. I don't, I don't know where it ranks in terms of worst losses in franchise history, but it's, it's got to be up there. I mean, especially in our lifetime, that might be the worst like loss we've seen in our lifetime. And you know what's bad, and Jacob, out of all people, you will understand this the most because I'm just – you know it's at a new low point when you're seeing comparisons to the Leafs. It is, it's gotten to that point in terms of collapses. Um, I don't think we all, any of us really know how to explain what happened, but, I mean, it was 8-1. I think we were all feeling pretty good at some points, and then um, we know what happened after that, and uh, here we are, um, I guess, yeah, like you said, 12 hours later. And I think the worst part about it is the feeling that you got to start over now. You got to go through the entire process of the offseason. You got to go through free agency, arbitration, all that stuff, spring training, and then we got to go through this again. So, yeah, it, it sucks to know about that. It just, it feels like, if, to me, I know it's still kind of for the fresh in the moment, but to me, it's a failure um, of a season, unfortunately, just because of the expectations this team had. And to come out of this losing two games, not winning one game, haven't won a playoff game technically now since 2016, uh, it's rough, and it's going to take me some time to get over this one. Yeah, it's that's got to be one of the worst games I've ever witnessed in person. And I know you guys laugh that I don't go to that many games in person, but somehow... Somehow I, I happen to see the, the worst games possible, but I know this is a Blue Jays podcast. We keep it specifically and strictly Blue Jays, but I'm a Leaf fan. I'm a Raptors fan. I am unfortunately used to this, and I said to you, Mark, yesterday jokingly, why couldn't I have been born in like LA or something and just happen to be geographically close to other teams that are a lot better? But Boston's the city where it's at, clearly. Yeah, but it... That was probably the most unbelievable game I think I could have ever watched. And the fact that you're up 8-1 to one, and then you're up 9-5. to five, Like, you had this game in the palm of your hands late in the game. There's going to be a lot of things we have to talk about. I think the biggest thing we can discuss is there are a lot of what-if moments. And who knows, if some of those went right, if even one of those went right, we'd probably still be on the train getting ready for Game 3. But I am... Uh... I don't know how to describe it. I'm not mad. Well, I'm mad, but I'm not angry. I'm more sad, disappointed. I don't know. I'm I'm basically I don't I'm not what I want to be feeling right now. I understand that. I think last night when I was writing up my post game recap, it wasn't. I don't know. Like it's not frustration. It's just, it, like you're not like blue in the face talking about 
the Blue Jays and being pissed off that everything that happened is just like, I don't know, it's hopelessness, I think. It's like you come all this way, these Blue Jays are supposed to be really good, and then you get to this point and you just, I hate to use a word, but you choke it. And here you are, 164 games later, and we're in the exact same spot. We were, whatever it was, October 3rd, 2021, and we're going to have to wait a year to find out if we end up in the exact same spot in October 2023, and it just seems like, you know, speaking as someone who isn't a diehard fan of the Leafs, I don't experience this all that often, but it feels like we're falling into a cycle, and I know it's only two seasons, I know this team is very promising and all that kind of stuff, but it just, I don't know, it's it's a feeling of hopelessness right now, and the fact that we have to wait 127 days until pitchers and catchers report to do this all over again and hope that the result is different. I think that's the most painful part of this, and yeah, I just, I don't know. I guess we can talk about a couple of those moments, not that we want to, but here we are, and it's our job, so we're going to do it. The first of which comes in the sixth inning, the Blue Jays are up. 8-1, and they have two outs, the bases are loaded, bases loaded with none out, Kevin Gosman gets two outs, uh, so there's one out left to get out of the jam, and John Schneider pulls Kevin Gosman, puts in Tim Meza to face Carlos Santana, who is better against left-handed pitching than Carlos Santana, um, or I guess Tim Meza throws a wild pitch, one run comes home, and then Carlos Santana hits a home run. And that's four runs coming home in that inning. And that's kind of the beginning of the end for the Blue Jays. It's 8-5. The Blue Jays score again, but we all know what happened after that. Um, lots of criticism of John Schneider for making that decision, for pulling Kevin Gosman in that moment, for the timing of the switch too, because there was a left-hander before Carlos Santana. But you let Kevin Gosman stay in to pitch against the left-hander, and then you take him out to pitch against the guy who's better against left-handers. A lot of people criticizing that decision. I'm curious if you guys are in the same boat, if you treat the decision with the same amount of disdain as a lot of fans do. Let me hear it. This is a complicated one. So here's the thing. I don't think that this was the sole reason why the team lost. It was the beginning of the end, but I, I don't think that you can pin this game on John Schneider at all. But... Here's the thing. If you're going to let Kevin Gosman face one lefty, get to the second out, let him face the third one. Like, he's clearly dealing, and it's one out. Like, I know one bad pitch and you're in the same situation, but it. I don't necessarily think that that was the right move. But from John Schneider's perspective, I do understand why he did it. You know, you're looking at it, you're facing the top of the order at this point, or getting to the top of the order. And, you know, Mark, you and I were discussing this. That at this point, just a, it wasn't the the top of the lineup, but it was like the heart of the lineup. Like it was Carlos Santana. Mm-hmm. It was, well, I guess even then it was towards. It was like Adam Frazier, well, Jared Kelly. You were getting to yeah. It was kind of towards the bottom of the lineup. To be honest, like six, seven, eight that area. Mm-hmm. Well, it was almost ready to turn over, and then or to turn the lineup over at that point. But what you and I were saying, or what you said to me, was that over his last couple of at-bats to load the bases and just over the last maybe inning or so, he was getting hit a little bit harder. So I understand maybe you're thinking that you're getting to that third time throughout the lineup. He's getting hit hard. Maybe you take him out. Maybe you replace him. And I know people don't necessarily like that argument. We've discussed it, you know, all, all throughout the years, but I understand it if you're a manager and why he would do that. And then the bases were loaded too. So you're thinking might as well get a fresh arm in, I don't know why you pick a lefty to go against a righty who had a good game to that point and had a good series to that point. I don't know. I Part of me doesn't agree with with taking Kevin Gosman out, but I also understand why you do it. I think you let him finish the inning, give Tim Meza a fresh inning to work with. Don't give him four runners or three runners to try and strand. I mean, clearly he didn't strand any of them. Four runs were then charged to Gosman after that inning, so... Went from five and two thirds, one run allowed, uh, whatever the bo- balls and or walks and strikeouts were. I don't even think that matters anymore. But 
went from that to five and two thirds, four runs allowed. It's it, it looks like a bad outing, but it was anything but a bad outing for Kevin Gosman, and it's it's very disappointing, I think, to say the least. To say to have him leave when it's eight to one, and then the bullpen cannot shut it down. And I know you can't fully pin it on the bullpen. You can pin most of it on the bullpen, but there's one play that we'll get to that eventually ended up costing them more than I think they expected to. But I don't know. I. I'll say I I more I more disagree with the move in the sense that you let Kevin Gosman finish that inning, but I don't think that I think that if he finishes that inning, you get rid of him. You you let the bullpen finish those last couple innings, and it's unfortunately this is a what if. What if he got out of it? What if he got out of it and only allowed say two runs or one run, not four runs? Or if the bullpen didn't allow those four runs, is it a different story? Who knows? It's but I don't think that it's a thing to have John Schneider be on the hot seat like I know he's technically interim manager and he's not getting promoted yet or not or hasn't you know nothing's been official but this isn't like a Charlie Montoyo not putting in the right guy situation that this is it's not a bad managerial move in that sense it's just one that kind of makes sense just unfortunately didn't work out for them yeah um I don't, I don't know I just when when he was pulled that I, I didn't like it at all. I just, I, I had a horrible feeling about it. I just, you know, you just kind of get a little, I guess, nervous when you're going to the bullpen. But the one thing that I think we've learned through John Schneider's tenure here, especially in the second half of the season, is he's very de- dependent on Tim Meza. And that's something that's been very clear. And, um, you know, I, you know, it doesn't make sense to me either because I think, Mark, you talked about it. Before Santana was up, the lineup already kind of turned over to left-handed hitters. And basically how Seattle um, structured their lineup in game two was you pretty much have everybody uh, from Adam Frazier to all the way down. I know Santana is a switch hitter, but basically you have Frazier, Santana, uh, Kalenic, and then Crawford, all lefties. Like that's pretty much what they did. That is how you pretty much uh, structured your lineup at the bottom. You can understand why he chose to Meza out of any other reliever in that bullpen. For me, it's the timing that I had an issue with. Um, you guys talked about it too. Kevin Gosman loads the bases. But first of all, before that inning anyway, and even it just felt like he was on his way to getting out of it, he was lights out. Like, he was dominant. He did everything that the Jays needed to do uh, to get through this game and potentially win the game. He outperformed Robbie Ray, and he was just dealing. I mean, his adrenaline was high. He was throwing 97, his splitter at the beginning of the game. Mariners hitters were not even touching it and that's something that we haven't really seen at all this season because usually there is some contact with the splitter even though it might be weak contact the Mariners were missing at everything and it just he was dealing and that's why to me like that's the guy you go out and get in the offseason last year you pay him 110 million dollars I know I know baseball is not managed the way it used to be and I know that there's a lot of you know data and stats and all that but to me, like that—that's a moment where you got to leave your ace in there, you, or you got to leave your guy in there. You—you got to let him get out of it, finish the inning. Perhaps Tameza comes out to a clean inning the next, um, the next inning because again they had pretty much lefties the rest of the way after Santana, or sorry, after Adam Frazier. Maybe it goes a different way for them, and then of course it doesn't make sense to me either because Frazier, Mark, again what you said was already a lefty. Like it's not like Santana was the first lefty you saw. It just, it was, it was interesting. That's all I'm going to say on that one. It was very interesting and I've right away didn't agree with it. And it was the beginning of multiple things to come. I think we're going to go in kind of order of certain situations. So I, I'll try not to branch off to the other ones just yet. I'll try and stay with this one. You got to leave Kevin Gosman in the game. You got to let him get out of it himself. Maybe you turn it over to the bullpen after that. But again, on the same time, even outside of John Schneider's hands, this was a bullpen that flat out in general didn't get the job done whatsoever. I mean, this is the only time I'm going to branch out. Um, the only guy that really did his job was Jimmy Garcia. And then maybe Adam Simber did pretty good as well when he came on afterward. But other than that, I mean, you have Anthony Bass, who you get at the deadline. Dennis doesn't record an out. Three earned runs. Jordan Romano, we love Jordan Romano. He comes in for, what was it, almost a six-out save at the B, or six outs pretty much when he first came in. He didn't get the job done either. And then... I mean, you can't ask much more from your offense putting up nine runs. You can't ask much more from Kevin Gosman. As much as John Schneider maybe didn't get the timing right of pulling out Kevin Gosman, 
you got to get the job done. Like, you have to. And then we knew that this was a problem going later in the game. That And we had Chris on, who was pretty much telling us about the Mariners' bullpen. Even though the Mariners' bullpen was shaky, the Jays' bullpen still isn't quite there with the Mariners' one. And the deeper that game went on, you knew the Mariners had the edge. And that was what was frustrating because the offense did everything they could to get to Robbie Ray beforehand. They had the lead. And you let it slip away through your fingers. And then for Carlos Santana also, I mean... This was the guy that pretty much tormented the Jays in that July series in Seattle. Um, I mean, if you want to look at his game log then, game one against the Jays on July 7th, two for four uh, with the double. Game two, he didn't have much going on. Game three, one for three with a home run and two RBIs. Game four, two for three with two home runs and three RBIs. This guy, for some reason, just destroyed Blue Jays pitching this year. And I I don't know if that was a factor in terms of maybe overthinking it, maybe overmanaging. I know I've seen that term a little bit. Maybe John Schneider was thinking a little bit too much about a guy in particular with Carlos Santana, what he's done against this team this year. But to me, I I know there's some people that don't think that was you know a major issue pulling out Kevin Gosman as much as they're probably in the minority with that. But you gotta you gotta leave him in there and get him out of the out of the inning. He was already on his way, like you said. Um, he blows the bases basically. And then after that, he get, he was on his way to getting out of it. He strikes out a couple people, but then you pull him. I just, I, I did not like it at all. And you just, I, I didn't expect the, the lead to be blown. Of course, when he was pulled out of the game, but I don't think anybody was, but you just, you, you, there's no way anybody had a good feeling about that. And I mean, his first, one of his first pitches, the wild pitch, like you guys said, and then the three run blast. And that was, then you knew it was just going to be back and forth the entire way and it kind of went back from being I guess a certainty to winning to kind of a coin flip and then at the end of the game we know how the Mariners got ahead in the what was it the eighth inning or whatever the heck it was I can't even remember if it was the eighth or the ninth but that's just my sense on it I like that Kevin Gosden's the guy you go out and get you got to let him get out of the inning before you hand it off to the bullpen I don't know that's just what I was thinking yeah I was it the wrong decision yeah I mean you look at what's going on in that situation, not only the timing of it with the lefties and all that sorts of stuff, but also just the fact that Kevin Gosman got himself into a mess. And then you could see, I don't know if you could actually, if it was like a tangible thing, but like, you know, those like big game moments where players just kind of meet the moment. And it seemed like Kevin Gosman was doing that. He had bases loaded, none out. And he just started pitching his ass off. He struck out the first batter. I think the second one was a pop-out to Vladdy, if I remember correctly. And all of a sudden, you're thinking, okay, you know, he's gassed. He's at 90-some-odd pitches, but this is his inning. He's going to get out of it. You have a seven-run lead, so you shouldn't be too worried. You know, worst-case scenario, you pull him after he gives up a home run, and you still have a three-run lead. So let him finish the inning. He's figuring it out. Um, and then I, I think the big thing that I, I actually wanted Kevin Gosman to be pulled and out earlier so that Tim Mesa would face Adam Frazier. And I think I mentioned this to Jacob in the moment. That's what I would have done because Adam Frazier is a lefty. Yeah. Kevin Gosman gets one out, but he's still shaky. It's whatever it was at that point. Third time through the lineup, they're getting to him. If you're going to pull Kevin Gosman at any point in that inning, pull him after the first out so he can face Adam Frazier, the lefty, Carlos Santana, yeah, switch hitter, blah, 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 and then Jared Kelenic, the lefty. I don't understand why you would pull him after he faces a lefty only to face Carlos Santana, who has better numbers against lefties. It's just you force Santana to his stronger side it, it doesn't make any sense in hindsight. I don't think there's any way to make it make sense, except for Bryson, like you mentioned. Maybe the Blue Jays were scared of Santana because of what he did earlier this year, and they wanted a fresh arm. But even then, why would you force Santana to his better side? Force him to his weaker side by bringing in someone like Garcia, bringing in someone like Bass, even though obviously that didn't work out later. So I don't understand it, but I will say... In the moment, I thought this was going to be inconsequential. You know, I was questioning the move in the moment, thought it was curious, but I didn't think it was going to matter at all. And I didn't think it was going to make an impact on the final score. 
So that's, I guess, where I differ from you, Bryce. And I wasn't staring at that moment and thinking, oh, geez, there was a pit in my stomach. What are the Jays doing right now? I I didn't think it would make an impact. I didn't think it would matter. I think, I, you know, you're up 8-1. I, I really wasn't looking at what reliever you bring in and why it matters because you have a seven-run lead in 99% of situation. That's It's not going to matter who you bring in because you got a seven-run lead. So I was really wasn't looking at it like that. I was kind of viewing it as it's all going to be inconsequential tomorrow and the Blue Jays are going to be playing a game three. And at this point, you just need to get these innings done and finished with and get on to tomorrow. So maybe that's stupid on my side of things, but I was questioning the move in the moment, but I really did not think it would come back to bite the Blue Jays. I mean, it looked like it wasn't even going to come back to bite them. Yeah, it was 8-5, to five, but then <clears throat> they scored again. And it was, you know, a much closer game at that point but they still like you know you and I were discussing this we're like oh crap now Romano's probably gonna have to come into the game or are they gonna pitch him today and then or yesterday and then today on Mon on Sunday or are they gonna rest him or rest Simber but then they scored another run and it was a four-run game we're like okay perfect Romano probably doesn't need to come in it looked like despite how bad things were getting it looked like things were gonna get better and then or at least stay the course which eventually would lead to a win and it just it didn't do that. It, and then even you look at it, you know, they had Bo Bichette on with, I think, was he at third with one out or was that second with one out? And then he went to third on a tag, I think it was. Because I know they had him with, I think they had, they had him on third with either one or two outs, but they had their opportunity. He was in scoring position for at least two two batters. And they had the opportunity to, to at that point, the game was tied. They had the opportunity to take the lead they had opportunities all throughout the game and I don't even want to blame the offense and say that oh it's your fault like you scored nine runs we crapped on them in game one about how they didn't score a run like well I'm not gonna crap on somebody that just scored more than a touchdown in a baseball game but it looked like what I'm getting at is it looked like things were still gonna get better it looked like we were still gonna get a game three and it just didn't get to that point and I'll give credit to the Mariners like I know we want to sit here and be mad about how the Blue Jays blew it and they did but I don't know, maybe when you miss the playoffs for more than two decades, you're a little bit more fired up than I guess we expected them to be. And I know that's not really what we want to discuss, what we want to hear, so I'll just mention that and then get over with it. But it's it's going to be an interesting offseason, I'll put it that way. And something to remember that this core that the Blue Jays currently have, it's not going to last forever. Like we talk about all these young players and how they're arbitration eligible, their rookie deals are going to end soon. Well, those years are going to start coming up and eventually you're going to get to the point where you're likely going to have most of this core, but who knows if some of these players are still going to be here next year or within the next couple seasons. So you're at the start of your competitive window, but the last thing you want to do is get to the times that you expect to get to the playoffs and then just not do anything with it. And I still like the way the team looks like, I still think it's a good team. I still think that they'll do well next season, but man it it's just it's it you know you look at Guerrero saying this year is going to be the movie this, like it was a great season I'm not going to say that it was a bad season but to end on this note and to just have all these expectations and nothing come out of it, it it's unfortunate and you had that opportunity you're at home like you clinch the playoffs you clinch top two seed you clinch home field you then realize okay it's Seattle you don't even get a win out of it and it, it's just very very disappointing and all throughout the game too like you're remembering Tapia had to come in because Merrifield was hit in the head with a pitch. Uh, obviously, Springer had to leave. We'll get to that later. Like, th this team was beaten up. Like, you're without Gurriel. That's, like, three outfielders that you're now not playing with. And <sighs> they battled, but unfortunately, the Mariners just, they outplayed them. And we had to witness them doing whatever the heck that circle thing was on, on the Rogers Center mound. And that was just... It's not fun. It's, it's not fun knowing that it's on your home turf and... Yeah, it just it's it's an absolutely brutal way to end that season. Yeah, like I don't even I don't give the Mariners as much credit as you do. Like this this game was the blue the, the Blue Jays lost this game and they had the, the Mariners had no business in winning that game and that's what makes it even more painful. And you're right, Jacob. Like this core is not going to last forever, but at the same time, it will be it will be interesting this off season because. Like, what can they really do this offseason? Like, you look at what they have in terms of free agents, 
everyone's locked in in ter- and other than obviously Ross Stripling and Jackie Bradley Jr. Like you have the same guys coming back. All the other guys basically now we're getting we're getting to that point now in terms of all these guys these guys are going to want contracts soon in terms of the young core. All these guys have arbitration. I believe pretty much everybody in terms of Bichette, Biggio, Simber, Espinal, Guerrero, Hernandez, Jansen, Kirk, uh, Manoa's even in pre-arbitration. Tim Meza, Zach Pop, like all these guys, arbitration. But like I don't know what they're like. I don't know what they can possibly do. I mean, the only way, the only thing that they can do really this offseason is obviously, I mean, maybe, I don't even know. Like, it's just like, the point is everybody's locked in. You're getting the, you're going to get the same team next year other than obviously some outside moves that they will probably make. But that's where I kind of, you know, I, I wonder what it's going to, how it's going to go this winter. And then you're going into next year, you got one more year of Teoscar Hernandez before that. You have to deal with that as well. And it's just, you're right. Like the clock's ticking and that's what makes it frustrating because, like this is a window now where you have everybody locked in once again, and sorry, next year as well as the last year for Matt Chapman. Like, it, to me, it, I know it was a season of ups and downs. I know at times it was fun. I can't call this a good season in my books. I can't do it. Like this was World Series aspirations. This was AL East aspirations. The, these were some people calling this a hundred wins, and you you get a two game, forty eight hour playoff game, and you don't win one, and you blow an eight one lead at home. To me, I can't call this a good season at all. As much there is, there was some fun moments throughout the year of course and you can't deny that but there was also some really low points and it was just a season of a roller coaster but like going back to what you said mark like let me let me let me make it clear and clarify like i didn't think they were going to lose either from that game uh, when kevin godson was pulled however i still had a horrible feeling and i still had a feeling that the mariners were going to capitalize on some of these opportunities did i think they were going to completely blow the game no but it just to me I thought that was the turning point of the game. Like, Kevin Gosman's feeling it. The crowd's roaring. I know he got in a massive ovation when he was leaving, but he he wasn't ready to come out, in my opinion. And if you th- if I know he'll never admit it, but if you ask him behind closed doors, I guarantee you he, 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 had no, he wanted no business of getting out of that game either. So I guess we're going to kind of move on slowly and slowly. I, I don't want to try and branch off because I know we're going to talk about other points in the game. But, I mean, interesting for the offseason going back to what I was saying about you Jacob that is a good way to put it because I told you guys that basically what these contracts look like basically the control Ross Stripling's off the books do we see him back I don't know um and then this team's gonna have to upgrade but the problem is there's so much money to you know put into guys like Jose Barrios Yusei Kikuchi and everyone's really locked in for next year so they're gonna have to get creative if they're gonna want to get better um I hate and also I don't know about you guys but and again, this is something because if it's it's a leaf thing, so Jacob, you'll understand is the most. I hate the narrative about a learning experience. I cannot stand that word or that that whole narrative being thrown around the clubhouse. The Leafs said the same thing five years ago. The Mariners missed the playoffs for twenty one years. What experience did they need, and what lessons did they need to do to sweep the Jays? I'm not here to talk about a learning experience. I I, I just want to get that out of the way. I hope you guys agree with me. If not. Let's just try not to mention it too much. Just for me, that is a massive pet peeve of mine. And um, I guess that's currently where things still stand. But I just want to make that clear to you guys. Did the late Jays learn stuff? Sure. Did they need to learn anything to be able to make a deep run? Sure as hell not. Other teams are doing it with no experience at all. So, yeah, that's a, that's a BS argument if you're using that as some sort of consolation for this loss. Um. I guess the next thing, well, do you guys have anything to talk about, like, chronologically before that Bobachette george Springer play, Bryson? This is a minor issue, but when Whit Merrifield was pulled, are we, any of you guys wonder why Jackie Bradley Jr. wasn't replaced instead of Tapia? I'm just wondering. I'm not saying it was the wrong move. I'm just wondering, did you guys also have that kind of thought? Yeah, and there was, I saw that ball that, kind of dropped in in front of Tapia in left field. Um, apparently, I forget what the exact percentage was, but I think he had a good like uh, percentage likelihood of being caught, according to Yeah, Stack he didn't Cast. have a good read. And no. Tapia, yeah, Tapia got, I think it was like two, uh, a jump that was two foot feet worse than Major League Average. So if you have JBJ, who this past year was top 10 defensive outfielders in Major League Baseball. If you have him in left field, 
maybe that ball gets caught and maybe we're talking about a different situation today. It goes back to that if question. There's so many ifs in this game. If this goes right, if this goes differently, if this doesn't go wrong. And I think that's another one that we have to consider. If JBJ gets put in instead of Tapia, but then again, maybe they like the splits a little bit better. Maybe they like Tapia offensively, which is true. Tapia is a better offensive player than JBJ. So, I don't know. And either way, at the end of the game, you're going to end up with JBJ and Tapia in the game because of what happened to Springer. So, you're just talking about who you get more time out of in the field. I don't know. It's, yeah, maybe going back, you'd like to have a different different take on it. But I think ultimately, it didn't really make that much of a difference. Well, see, the worst part is, is I don't think anybody expected this to make that big of a difference because they still had the lead at that point. Like, it's not it's not as if you're making, like, a, this pivotal moment late in the game where it's tied. Like, it's late in the game, but you still have a lead. And it's tough. Like, all these little things added up to some big things, but all these things just add up and nobody expected them to lead to a loss. And it unfortunately did. So, I don't know. It The only reason why I'm not going to say that I'm too in disagreement with that move is just because I didn't expect it at the moment to be as influential as it was and not to really blame Tapia for anything like he was that last batter of the game it's not like nobody expects him to hit a two-run home run I mean I would have loved it but it's it's nobody expected it to get to that point I think he was just expecting to play in the field and get ready to maybe play today so it's tough it, I, I don't really know what to think I just just given the fact that it wasn't expected to be a huge move I didn't think that much was going to come out of it yeah I mean I, it was a minor thing um again it's not I don't know if it's the reason why um uh, anything you know happened from that but yeah it's just like I, I guess yeah we're like we're playing the what if game but I mean rightfully so there were so many just fluky stuff that happened and then I guess we're going to talk about the flukiest play I think we've ever seen next so I'll leave that to you Mark but yeah, I mean, I don't. I got nothing else to add on that. It's just, I. It's something that I thought of. I kind of after the game, not really in the moment, but in no way, I don't think that was like a major, major thing. It's just another minor thing. I'm just nitpicking at. Yeah, well, it's definitely something that a lot of people are talking about, and uh, we talked about it before. But check out Chris Black on Twitter. He had a thread about kind of the defensive metrics that I was mentioning and how if. JBJ is there, maybe he gets a better jump, and maybe he makes that catch that falls into left field, I don't know, it's, I don't view that as really something that made all that much of a difference, but here we are. Um, okay, so it's the big one now, it's the top of the eighth inning, um, the Mariners are threatening to get a leadoff double from Eugenio Suarez, a single from Cal Raleigh, so there's, and, and, Suarez comes around to score on that, so it's 9-6, Blue Jays, Mitch Haniger singles, Cal Raleigh to second, Adam Frazier singles, Cal Raleigh to third, bases are loaded, and then the Blue Jays get a strikeout, strikeout, and then the play, the collision, the play that... I still really can't bring myself to watch. I don't know if I'll ever be able to watch it. Um, perhaps the worst moment on a baseball field that we will ever watch, and I hope that's the case because I don't want to experience anything like that again. J.P. Crawford bloops a ball into shallow center field. George Springer breaks forward, is sprinting full speed into the infield, Bo Bichette breaks on it, is sprinting full speed into the outfield, and they collide just as the ball drops a little bit to their left. Uh, Bo Bichette's forearm kind of clotheslines George Springer. Bichette rolls, is on the ground, Springer's on the ground, the ball bounces away, Santiago Espinal eventually fields it, and in the meantime, the base is clear, and it's a 9-9 ball game. George Springer has to come out. He gets carted off the field. And I guess this is the play I have the biggest issue with in the game. I 
Like I said, I have issues with the decision to pull Kevin Gosman, but I don't think it costs the Blue Jays a game. Maybe you make a different decision with Tapia and Bradley Jr., but I don't think it changes the game. I think this play is ultimately what this game came down to, and I think Bo Bichette is to blame for this. And I don't mean that in a vindictive way, like trade Bo Bichette, he's terrible, he's worthless to this team. I don't mean it in that way. I mean it in this play alone, Bo Bichette made an error in judgment, and it's his fault that it happened that way. Because anytime you're running away from the infield, you're running with your back to the play, with your back to the ball, that's not your play to make. It is whoever is better positioned for that ball, and that was George Springer. George Springer has a direct line to where the pop fly is going to end up. He sees it, he's tracking it, he's running full speed ahead, and he's got seniority in that moment. Not just because he has a better line on the play, not just because he's a veteran on this team, but also because he's the outfielder, Bo is the infielder, and this is 20-30 feet from the infield. This is not Bo play to make. And George Springer's barreling full speed ahead. You can see in the video at the last moment that he kind of bails out or tries to bail out. Bo it seems like he doesn't even see George Springer until he kind of tracks the ball as it's falling. And at that point, his forearm is out and it hits George Springer in the head. This is Bo fault. In my mind, he should have bailed. He should have been aware of his surroundings. It's George Springer's play to make. If you look at the video, if Bo Bichette isn't there, George Springer has a clear line to catch that ball in a dive, and this inning is going to the bottom of the eighth, and the Blue Jays still win this game. If Bo Bichette isn't there, the Blue Jays win this game, in my mind. You can also make the argument on the other side that if George Springer sees Bo Bichette earlier and eases up and plays the ball in a bounce, then it's only one or two runs and the Blue Jays still win this game. You can make them argument either way, but I think all things considered, the fact that this is George Springer's territory on the field, this is George Springer's play to make because he sees the ball, he has a beat on the ball, I blame this on Bo Bichette. Not in a vindictive way, not in a Go taunt this guy on social media and make him hate his life way because none of us want that. It, it's just his fault that he made this play. See, I'm quite torn on this. I I agree that th- this is in the outfield. Like, it's literally in the outfield. The outfielder should be the one playing it. I don't know if George Springer makes that catch, though. That's the only thing. And I, I know that it's likely... It, it likely is the case that he could catch it. You know, he has a clear path to it, but I... Also, this this ball had, off the bat, I think it was a 70% catch probability, which is just wonderful to think about. Yeah. It's just, I... It's tough because there's two outs at this point, so the second that ball's off the bat, the batters or the, the runners are running. You know, they're going, and that, that's, I think, the primary reason why they were able to score. Like, if there was only one out... Even if this collision happens, you probably at most score two runs. You don't score three. So runners are moving on the pitch no matter what. I think that it's Bichette's mistaken judgment like you just mentioned in going for that. But I think that if you're a Springer, you can see that he's also there. I know he's obviously paying attention to the ball. He's not saying, oh, where's my fielders? He probably couldn't even hear him say, I got it. Or if he said, I got it, he probably couldn't hear it. I... It, it's such a tough situation. Again, this is those what-ifs. What if Bichette didn't go for it? What if Springer caught him earlier? What if somebody heard, I got it, and then they realize, okay, nobody's got it, or whatever. What if the ball drops, only one or two run score, they get it in, get the next guy? I don't know. I think that it's it's more on Bichette to blame for this, but it's, it's still a, a tough situation because I, I still think that it's a little bit on both of them, and I hate to blame people for this, but I still think that given the situation, you're still able to see that that Bichette's coming in. He can't see you as Springer. He can't see you. I think that it's it's one where he, I, in an ideal world, somebody sees somebody and they just let the ball drop and get the ball back into the infield and pray to God that the next guy gets out. So uh, 
I hate that we have to do this, but I think that ideally you blame Bichette a little bit more for this, but in an ideal world, and I know I keep saying that word, but it's not the situation where it's one player's sole fault. I think there there easily could have been two different types of ways for this to go. Like you, Best of scenarios, you let this ball drop and hopefully this, the game's not tied at that point because at that point the game was, the, the life was sucked out of that crowd and it was just the, at that point you knew that the game was kind of over and the Mariners had the, the advantage there. Yeah, um, you can, I guess, in some sort of comparison to the Gosman thing, as much as, again, we didn't think pulling him was going to make them lose the game. Mark, you're right. This probably, this was the play of the game because if this is handled differently, like you said, about maybe letting the ball bounce or just... Making that play in general, uh, Jordan Romano goes to the ninth inning up three runs. And then you you think, you would assume and hope that that would be enough. But um, I guess we'll go by that. So, yeah, like, I get it. They want to make, I guess, everybody. And in that play, Bichette and Springer, they, they want to make, they want to be the ones to make the play. But, like, you're, you're right. His back's turn. He's going out there. It's hard, for, like, you don't, it's hard to, it's 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 tough because like it's just a fluky play in general to JP Crawford who's the ninth hitter on this team which is even more i guess annoying out of it is that this is the this is the ninth guy who is not a very good hitter and that's what just really makes it painful to talk about but yeah like i think another stat that we saw about the Springer read on the ball was that he didn't even get a good jump to the ball but like you were talking about, he let up probably when he saw Bichette coming towards him. So that obviously didn't help because he definitely, probably if he kept going, going at that speed, probably had a way better chance of catching that ball. And then, you know, for Bichette, I guess, like I can see I can see the argument of blaming him. I can. I just, for me in the heat of the moment, I think they're both trying to make that play. And that it, it's a tough one to read because of how fluky it was. So I guess I'll lean a little bit more towards Jacob because it really does torn me on that. But usually, I will say, I guess, in those types of plays, it usually is the center fielder's ball, right? And that's basically what we've seen before. So, But, of course, I guess there's been some plays where you've seen an infielder do that play, but it, it's really difficult to do with your back turn like that. So, I mean, even if, you know, they let the ball bounce. You still have the lead, obviously. It just, they, it, it's a tough one for me. I know, I understand the, the heat Bichette's getting for it, and I understand why people are blaming him, but for me, I'm just really torn on this because of just the heat of the moment and the fact that, you know, like if, if you know, maybe Springer gets has a better chance, even if he has a better read off of it. We were talking about it in terms of defensive replacements. I don't know. It's just the fact that that play, and I'm just seeing pictures of, the moment of collision, the fact that that play was the season is just really, it's a tough pill to swallow. It really is. So, I mean, that was the play of the game. Completely agree with you on that one. And, like, I, as much as he had a bad jump, I think there was enough, pretty sure what the stats showed afterward, too, there was enough distance or there was enough ground that he covered to make that catch. So that's even more frustrating is that he was very close and so close to doing that. So... That's where, you know, it's it's just tough because you don't even know at that, like, who knows if they're even communicating at that point. Like like you were saying, Bichette has no idea where Springer is. Springer kind of can see him, but then, like you're saying, like, they're slowly getting towards him, and then at the end, he bails off, and then that ball drops. But that's just, that's, that's bottom line, that's a play that's got to be made. And no matter who you blame it on, it had to be made. And, you know, right after that, I think all of us just had the feeling that that was it. I mean, it's, it's, it's horrible. Just, I'm, I'm watching it right now as I'm talking to you guys. It's, I'm, it's literally on repeat. It's just, I can't believe that's the play. Like we were at the game. You didn't see, we didn't really see as good as what they're showing on TV of how close this play truly was. But I mean, and at the same time, you got to feel bad for George Springer. Like the guy was playing with a busted wrist, probably who knows how truthful they were on that. Like he, even you didn't even have to look on TV to see how painful he was in when he was swinging. He had the elbow. Um, now probably a concussion. I mean, likely a concussion. That guy's going to need a few months at least to really heal up, and that's why it, it's 
painful to talk about that because of the amount of effort that he gave this year and the amount of stuff that he's had to deal with since coming here. It's just, it adds to the list of what ifs. It adds to the list of if this play was made, uh, the game likely, again, hopefully, likely turns out in the Jays' favor and we're playing today in a game three. And I think if we're looking for any moment from that play, that is encouraging, nice to see, was when George Springer was being carted off the field and he was motioning to the fans to get loud. And in that moment, it felt weird because we had been basically silent for 10 minutes. It got from a fever pitch. And then on the communication side of things, like they may have been communicating. Who knows if they could have hurt each other because it was really darn loud in there. And then it goes from that to just pitch quiet for 10 minutes. And then George Springer gets carted off the field. He wants people to get loud. And then you remember that it's a 9-9 ball game and you still got a couple innings to play. And yeah, and it just kind of keeps going south from there. Um, To wrap all this up, I I know we've mentioned it a little bit, but um, I guess some final thoughts on this season and what's to come for the Blue Jays. I know we'll be doing this probably more in depth over the next couple weeks as the rest of the postseason plays out. But um, yeah, this season is a failure. Like I, I don't think there's any other way to look at it. It feels like last year, I don't know why this feels so different than last year, but I think expectations were so much higher. And not just like to get to the playoffs, but make a deep run in the playoffs. Like It seemed like last year the job of this team was to make the playoffs, and they didn't. So that was the disappointment. But it was kind of okay because they did basically everything they could. They played as hard as possible. They won all three of their final games. And it just came down to a game in Washington against the Red Sox. This season, the goal was to make a deep run into the playoffs. And it didn't happen. And it's not really anyone else's fault except for the Blue Jays. And I think that's why this stings so much more. Last year, it felt like a novelty. It was our first real exciting competitive season in a while. This year, it was a disappointment and it was a failure. And in terms of what's next for them, I don't know. I, I, I legitimately do not know how you go from the team you had this year and build it to a point where you can get past this stage. And maybe it is experience. Maybe it is that learning opportunity that we talked about. I, I don't know. And maybe it's something as simple as the bullpen because we talked about this at the trade deadline. Like this team, this front office is failed to build a competitive bullpen where 29 other teams realize how you need to build a bullpen. It's not picking from the trash heap and getting guys that you hope are average enough to get you through the regular season. You need to go out and intentionally build top-level talent in the bullpen and intentionally sign top-level talent in the bullpen. And for some reason, this front office, year in and year out, despite their failures, seems to think that they can skate by with picking from the trash heap and getting average guys who are going to go out there and throw average innings, that's not enough. That's not going to get you into the postseason. That's not going to get you deep into the postseason. That needs to change, and it needs to change now. And I don't know why it hasn't changed already, but that's one of the failures of this season. They go into the trade deadline, and they think they're fine just getting Anthony Bass and Zach Pop and Mitch White, who doesn't really come out of the bullpen at all. They think they're fine with those three guys. And that's the problem from this season. That's the big problem with this team. They think they can skate by with average relievers. And they can't. They can't. And that's something that needs to change this offseason. So that's what I'm looking for. Um, I don't know. I, I, but besides that, it's like, I, I don't know. And, and if you don't do it next year, when do you do it? Yeah, you still have Lottie. Yeah, you still have Bo. You still have these young guys. You still have Kevin Gosman. You still have Alec Manoa, but you miss Teoscar Hernandez. You miss Matt Chapman. And at that point, you're getting into a conversation of who do you pay and how much do you pay him to make up for this talent? So, I don't know. I'm in a bad mood right now, but I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I mean, this is a season where you were expecting a lot better than to get swept in a wild card series. And I mean, 
the regular season, I will say, it was fun. It was enjoyable. There were ups and downs, but you don't play for the regular season. And like I said earlier, I'm a Leaf fan. You don't play for the regular season. Yeah, it's fun, but you play to get into the playoffs, and you play to go deep into the playoffs. And this core is not going to last forever. Maybe it will. Maybe parts of it, most of it, will still be here next season. But what this team has right now is the capability of winning a World Series. And I know I joke about that and like all Pirates or, or Padres, Blue Jays World Series last season. But I do legitimately, and, and unbiased as possible as I can be, think that this team can win the World Series. The team that currently exists. And to get swept on your home field... Mariners are a good team, I won't deny that, but you you don't face the bad teams in October, you face the good teams, and if you want to be a good team, if this truly is Vladdy's house, you need to get the job done when center stage is right there for you, and it's, part of me doesn't want to call it a failure, but I don't know what else to call it, like, I, the whole learning experience, that was last season, yeah, of course, learning is a lifelong thing, and you're still going to learn no matter how experienced you are, but you can't do this. When people are paying you to do these things, when 50,000 people, 47 to be exact, are being there two days in a row, filling up the streets of Toronto, making the go train an absolute mess to get on at the end of the game, or before the game even, when people are doing all these things, you need to be a lot better. And I think for next season, like here's the thing, the expectations for next year are probably the same, if not greater, than they were a year ago, thinking 2021 was whatever 2022 is going to be a lot better 2023 is going to probably have the same expectations and you got to outplay those expectations at this point like you need to get there you need to go out and maybe it is on the front office I don't know I think you do need to go out and make a, a lot of moves this offseason or at least some moves to get elite talent which they did last season like they got but I guess now the elite talent needs to go into the bullpen but I think my my thoughts might change a little bit going into next season or going into the the new year, but as of right now, this team needs to be better, and you need to be better when it counts. Yeah, okay, you win most of your September games. Bo leads the league and hits in September, hits like 430 or something or 330. You need to be a lot better when the games matter most, and yeah, you can win 92 games, but if you can't win two games in October, or you can't win one game when the calendar switches to October and, and the playoffs start what's the point of it and that's just kind of my thoughts like you don't play for the regular season despite how fun it is you need to win in October I hope it wears off throughout the winter but like you're talking about the expectations which you're completely right about it's just it's slowly for me turning into show me in October now and that's exactly what we have I, I hate to do the comparisons Jacob but you understand it's the same thing with the Leafs, and that's why it it stings. It stings that I have the same feeling with the Jays now in terms of show me in the playoffs, show me when it matters. And I think it's a fair assessment with the expectations. I think I feel better about last season than I do today right now, and I don't think that's far-fetched because of how the season ended this year, especially just embarrassing yourself in, in 48 hours. I know, I know we don't really count 2020, but of course it's still a stat. This team hasn't won a playoff game since 2016. Like, there needs to be, there needs to be improvements, and that is like, that is saying at least. And I think the other thing that we learned about this year, and I know the New York Yankees had an incredible year. I know they won 100 and whatever the heck it was, 100 and almost 110 games. But it also shows you how valuable it is to win the AL East, and it's going to get competitive next year. The Yankees are still going to be good. I don't know if they're going to be as good as they were. This year, but they're hanging around. The Baltimore Orioles have emerged. I know the Red Sox are going through, or they're going to, and of course they had a horrible season. I know they're going in a kind of an, uh, an off-season of uncertainty, but Mark, you know this too, live, or being near the Boston area, like they always find a way to bounce back after a rough season. Like I know like their rebuilds don't take long, and I, I'm not saying they're going to be am amazing next year, but like you got five legitimate teams that are going to be competitive next year. And it just, to me, it showed, of course, under this, even with the new playoff format, I know it's a series now for the wild card, but it just shows you how crucial it is to get that by. Um, and that's the one thing I learned from it. Of course, you want to win the AL East. Um, and for me, like it's next year will be, it's going to be an, probably another fun regular season. It will be. And, but at the back of my mind, it's, it's still going to be there. I think in terms of show me when it matters, show me in October, 
And the fact that you got to, like when I said at the beginning, you got to start over, you got to go through everything again. Who knows what they're going to do? I, I said it at or about halfway through about the contracts, about how everything's lined up. Everyone's locked in besides Ross Stripling and Jackie Bradley Jr., they're gonna if they want to make significant changes. I don't know if they will. Of course, you got to believe in this young core still, but there probably still will be some changes uh, outside of that. They got to get creative because of the amount of commitment that they do have, and the clock's ticking with some guys. But you, I, they got to get creative. I don't know what they're gonna do. Like this is probably an off season. As much as you can lay out what they got to do and everything, the fact that everything is so locked in right now with these guys, I really have no idea where this is gonna go. And this might be something that we kind of get a better read on once the offseason officially begins. But as of now, I think, like, it's pretty crazy, too, if you want to talk about the trade deadline. Like, Anthony Bass is really good. And I know that's not what you're saying, Mark. I understand. Like, I know what you're trying to say in terms of they needed to do more. And, I mean, like, we got a lot of heat for that um, back then. And, I like, I was sarcastic as heck about Mitch White. And the fact that it turned out, like, I was I hate I don't usually like to pump my tires, but the fact that I was actually right about that, and he was a complete disaster, and this team didn't have a fifth starter for the second half of the season, basically, or for the last month, like that that's concerning in, in my opinion. So I guess if you want me to give you some kind of stuff to expect, a legitimate fifth starter. I know Nate Pearson's going to be hanging around next year. I know Ricky Teedman watch is kind of already up and going. I hate to do this because this team should still be in the playoffs. I want to, and I think this is something I also still mentioned kind of halfway through the year. I think this team needs more balance. It's very right-handed. I think you get some lefties in there. I think it makes this team a lot better. This is, of course, just some early wish list. And, of course, I mean, you can never stop improving this bullpen. That's got to be a priority, of course. But they're going to have to be creative of what they do. I don't know if there's a trade with one of the main guys. If you're me, I can't rule that out. I don't know. I mean, as much as we love Teoscar Hernandez, he's got one year left. I don't know if they're going to be able to pay him. I know Lourdes Gurriel Jr., he's another guy that's kind of always kind of floated around here and there. I don't know. I mean, I I, I won't. I wouldn't rule – I can't rule that out in terms of anything with those guys. Kind of as much as they're in the core, they're not Vladdy. They're not Bo. You know what I mean? So that's why I got no idea what to expect uh, this offseason. They're going to have to get creative if they really want to make a better team as much as they do believe in this core. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting offseason for sure. And I think there's going to be some questions asked of Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro and certainly John Schneider. Although I think, I mean, we haven't talked about this on this episode, but I can assume we're all pro Schneider losing the interim title and just being named manager permanently. I see both of you nodding, so that's encouraging. I guess that's, that's one positive for next season. You know what the managerial situation is going to look like. Not really in the mood for it, but if we're searching for positives next season, I gotta say I do think Mitch White will be better. And I've said this a lot, but I think he's going to actually be a part of this team who's... I I, I think he is going to become a solid starter for them in the years to come. And that's tough to say now, it's tough to see now, but I do think he has the potential to do that for the Blue Jays. I don't know, that's all the positives I got. There's not much more that you can say. I, it's grim right now, and it's going to take us a while to get over this if we ever get over it. Um, and, you know, just like waking up this morning, Jacob, I think you mentioned this in our group chat. It, like, there was a five seconds of bliss where I didn't remember the game last night. And then you realize, no, that nightmare actually happened. No, the Blue Jays aren't playing postseason baseball anymore. No, this season is a failure, and we're going to have to wait six months to see another regular season game and it just day ruined right there so um yeah we'll be back eventually at some point i don't know what our plans are for the future we're probably going to take a couple days to ruminate on this and we'll probably do a more formal wrap-up of 2022 we'll probably do a more formal off-season preview we'll find some way to get you guys some stuff through the postseason as we wait for the off season, but it's going to be a brutal four or five months as we wait for the Blue Jays to return. It's going to be rough. Um, but thank you to everyone who tuned in for our content this year. 
it's been a year. I'm not going to say it's been a special year, but it's been a year, and we appreciate everyone tuning in and listening to whatever we have to say, whether it's smart or dumb or somewhere in between. Um, we'll catch you whenever we record this next, but until then, enjoy your Sunday, enjoy Thanksgiving, enjoy time with family, and take a little bit of a break from baseball for a little bit. Don't watch the Padres Mets tonight. Don't watch the ALDS. Take a little bit of a break and come back in April. Come back in April. Okay, let's draw the line there. I'm not saying that. All right, we'll catch you next time. For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself.